Take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk chapter 3, one of those minor prophets in the Old Testament. And uh, I want to speak to you about on a subject this morning I've entitled, Faith in Spite of Circumstances. We all have circumstances in our life. And none of us really know what the other person is going through exactly, but God knows. And you might have come in this morning with a heavy burden on your shoulders because of circumstances. Can you have faith in spite of all the circumstances? And of course, the answer to the scripture, from the scripture is yes. But let's read some verses here. Habakkuk chapter 3, if you found that passage, will begin in verse 16. When I heard, my belly trembled, and my lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered into my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. So he's trembling because of something. We'll, we'll understand that later. And he says that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he cometh up unto the people, he will invade them with his troops. And then he said these wonderful words, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, labor of the olives shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. In other words, everything is gone. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds feet. He will make me to walk upon my high places to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful statement of faith. And we understand, Lord, that it is a statement that all of us should have, but we also understand that sometimes it's very difficult. And I don't know what your people are going through this morning. I don't know the burdens that they face, but I know that you do. And I know, Lord, regardless of the things that we face, we still should have faith in you and have a bright outlook and have joy in our hearts. Help us to be those kind of people, work in our hearts to accomplish that. And if anybody here today is not saved, I pray that today will be the day of salvation for them. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Every Christian faces those times in our life when our faith is tried by troubles. We might think we are doing well in our Christian life. We might be reading our Bible regularly, praying, obeying the Lord, going to church, tithing, witnessing, and then trouble comes. It might be unexpected temptation. You thought you had all this settled, you know, and those old temptations weren't going to conquer you anymore, and yet an unexpected temptation comes, and you find weakness in your flesh, and you almost, or you did, give in to that temptation. Maybe it's family problems that have risen in your life. Maybe it's you and your spouse, or you and your children, or you and some other loved ones, or there's friction, there's family problems associated with a home. It might be that you've suffered the death of a loved one. It might be that you're going through a financial crisis and you don't know how to pay your bills and it, it's coming down hard on you and you just don't know what to do. It might be persecutions for your stand for Christ. Maybe it's at work or, or at school or wherever it might be. It might be failures of a friend or family member that surprises you. 
you know, this one you looked up to and they fail and they fail uh, in, a, in a terrible way and you're just discouraged by it all. It might be that you're facing a health crisis. It might be that you've heard that terrible word cancer or something else and you're facing a health crisis. Maybe your car broke down. I mean, that can be a burden sometimes. Maybe your car broke down or your home, uh, you need home repairs that you can't afford to do. Or maybe there's been great loss by fire or weather to your home. Or maybe it's trouble at work and things are just sort of unsettled and you're not getting along with your boss or maybe a, a, a fellow worker. It might be trouble at work. Maybe it's a problems when you add them all up, it's so much that you just don't know what to do. You're seemingly overcome. You find yourself defeated, discouraged, and maybe even depressed. You find yourself afraid and maybe even doubting God or blaming God. You feel like the disciples as they were with Jesus. You remember in Matthew chapter 8 and Mark chapter 4, it records that. They went into the ship with the Lord Jesus to go to the other side of the lake and a storm came up. And I'm going to give you some of the details from the different uh, gospel accounts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you remember, are all gospel accounts. They're stories of, uh, they're a story of the Lord's ministry and told by Matthew and by Mark and by Luke and by John. So each of them have a different take or different remembrance, and, and they, they share that. So Matthew and Mark tell about this, this account. Uh, let's look at, first of all, Mark said, Jesus said to them, let us pass over unto the other side. Now remember, they were in a, they were in a great meeting. The Bible says there were great multitudes that followed the Lord, and he was teaching them. In fact, it was so crowded to him, he got in a boat and went out a little bit in the sea and taught from that boat as all the people gathered around. So it was a great time of teaching. And then Jesus said, let's leave this and let's go over to the other side. Now we find out later on the other side was the maniac of Gadara. And Jesus crossed the sea just to deal with him, then he came back over. But he said, let us pass over to the other side. Mark puts it that way. And the disciples followed him. And then the Bible says in Matthew that a great tempest came and the ship was covered with waves. Mark puts it like this, a great storm of wind. The waves beat into the ship so that it was full. I mean, that's really bad. You're out in the sea and your ship, your boat is full of water. Now that's a bad place to be. And yet they look and Jesus was asleep on a pillow. Mark says it like this. He was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And the disciples came to him and they woke him and they said, Lord, save us, we perish. Matthew said, Mark puts it like this. He said, Master, uh, carest thou not that we perish? And then Jesus said to them, it's, you know, if I was in that situation, I'd say, what did you say? And he said this. He said, why are you fearful? Why are, oh, ye of little faith? Why do you have such little faith? Now, if I was in the midst of that and the boat was full of water and we're out in the midst of the sea and somebody said, what are you afraid of? What do you mean, what am I afraid of? He said, why are you feel fearful? That's in Matthew's gospel. In Mark, it says, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And then the Bible says Jesus arose and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Matthew records it that way. Mark says it like this. Jesus rebuked the wind, and he said unto the seas, Peace be still. 
And the Matthew and Mark both recorded the exact same thing in their response to that. And they said this. The disciple says, what manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Remember, the wind stopped, and if even the wind stops, it's going to take a while for the waves to stop, but immediately Jesus calmed both of them, and it was completely calm. The disciples were afraid in the storm, and yet Jesus told them something we need to hear, and that is they didn't need to be. In fact, they shouldn't be. Now, that's hard for us to understand. Why shouldn't we be afraid when, every, when life's full of problems and everything's going wrong seemingly? Why shouldn't we be afraid? And Jesus said you shouldn't. You see, we understand their fear because we have also been afraid in times of trouble. We marvel at Bible examples that tell us about men who seem to be not afraid in the midst of trouble. I think of, da- of David back in 1 Samuel chapter 17. He faced Goliath. Everybody else was scared to death, including Saul, who stood head and shoulders above everybody else. And David came to the camp and he says, why are you letting this guy talk to the, about the Lord that way? And he said, why are you letting him blaspheme God? Well, nobody can fight against him. And David said, I will. And so David went against Goliath. And it tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 44, And the Philistines said to David, Come to me and I'll give thy flesh into the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Now let's, let me remind you, Goliath was nine foot, nine inches tall. That's a big dude. He'd make these seven feet uh, basketball players look little. Nine foot, nine inches. Then said David to the Philistines, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of, of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will I will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thy head from thee, and I will give the, thy carcass and the host of the Philistines this day into the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Now he's saying, Goliath, I'm not afraid of you. God's going to take care of you, and God's going to feed you to the, to the birds and the beasts. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass when the Philistine rose and came and drew near nigh to David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slung it and smote the Philistine in his forehead, and the stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone. Remember, David didn't have a sword. And he smote the Philistine and slew him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and, and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. Now, normally when we tell this story to kids, we don't include that part. <laughs> and he cut his head off. <laughs> Sort of gory, but that's what happened. A man like David standing against a foe like that. How could he be so peaceful in the midst of trouble? Then we think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember the, uh, they said to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you're to bow down to this golden uh, 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 figure that uh, Nebuchadnezzar set up. And they said, we can't do that. We'd go against our God. 
And so they struck up the music, and they were the only ones that didn't bow. Everybody on that plane was bowing to this, this false idol. But Shadrach and Meshach didn't. And so the king called them in when he heard about it, and he said, I'm going to give you one more chance. I'm going to strike up the music again, and all you have to do is bow down. And Shadrach and Meshach said, uh, King, just save the music. We're not going to bow. Uh, and we know this, God's going to deliver us. And if he doesn't deliver us out of your hand, in fact, that you, know, that you kill us, he'll still deliver us. Now, how could they stand up with everybody else doing exactly what the king said and with the threat of the fiery furnace, how could they do that? Well, we're sort of envious of that kind of faith. But the Lord says that's the kind of faith we should have. We face troubles, we should have that kind of faith. And sure enough, they threw Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego into the fiery furnace. And the king looked in and he saw not just three men, but four men walking in the furnace. And he says, that fourth one, he's like the son of God. I think that was Jesus walking in the midst there. And I've pointed out before, it's not surprising to me that when Nebuchadnezzar called him out, he said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He didn't call the fourth one out. <laughs> he didn't want anything to do with that fourth one, but he called them out. They stood firm in the midst of trouble. Then you think of Daniel. Daniel was told by, like everybody else, you don't pray to any god but the king, and uh, you can't do that. Only these, only the king you can pray to, and Dave, Daniel did like he always did. He opened his windows. He wasn't ashamed, and he prayed three times a day. They took him, threw him into the den of lions, and he seemingly did not, did not flinch. He just went right on doing what he's supposed to do. And uh, they threw him in the den of lions. And the king spent all night praying and, and just wondering if, what's going to happen to Daniel. He liked Daniel. And the next morning he says, Oh, Daniel, has your God been able to deliver you? And Daniel said, Yes, he did. He shut the he lion's mouths. Wouldn't you like to have that kind of faith that can stand in the midst of trouble? That's the kind of faith Daniel had. And then there's the man called Job. In the Bible, the Bible tells us he was a just man. He feared God, and he rejected all evil, and he was a just man. He lived for the Lord. The Lord said there's nobody like Job. He's probably the best on the earth as far as his relationship with God. And then Satan came to the Lord and said, Lord, uh, let me touch him. I mean, he'll curse you if you just let me take things away from him. And the Lord said, all right, all right, uh, Satan, you can do that. But don't you touch his, his life. Don't you take his life and, or, his, or his body. Don't you touch his body. And so the Bible says five, that, that somebody came running from the scene because they were the only servant that escaped. And they came to Job and they said, uh, the, the Sabaeans came and they took your oxen and they took your donkeys. And we find out earlier in the passage that he had 500 oxen and 500 donkeys and they stole them and they took them away from him. So he didn't have those anymore. And they killed all the servants that were taking care of them. Then while he was talking, another man came. He was the only survivor of this next thing that happened. It says that, that the fire came down from God. I mean, God did this. The fire of God fell down and 7,000 sheep, your sheep were destroyed. We're told early he had 7,000 sheep. 7,000 sheep were destroyed. And all the servants except me, I'm escaped so I can come and tell you. And then while he was talking, 
Another one came and said 3,000 camels were carried away by the Chaldeans. That's the Babylonians. And also they killed all the servants and I'm the only one left. And, and I came to tell you. And then while he was talking, somebody else came and said there was a great wind that came and blew down the house of your oldest son. And all your sons and all your daughters were in there having a family get together, you know, and just enjoying themselves. And he said all of them were killed. Seven sons, three daughters, dead. And then we notice Job's response. And we say, what? How could you respond like that? And Job said in Job chapter 1, verse 20, he said this, Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, the Satan wasn't through with Job. And he went to the Lord again, and he said, Lord, let me touch his body. I mean, he might not have cursed you when I took his things, but if you'll just let me touch his body. And the Lord said, all right, but you can't take his life. And so the Bible says that Satan went forth and he touched his body. And, and Job was covered with boils. The Bible says it's sore boils from the sole of his foot under the crown of his head. So from his head to his toe, he was, toes where he was covered with boils. And the Bible says he sat there in ashes and he took uh, potsherd, uh, scraps of, po- of pottery, and, and scraped the pus out of those sores. Terrible condition. And yet, when that happened, his wife turned against him. And she said, How, why are you keeping and retaining your integrity? Why don't you just curse God and die? Now, that's a terrible thing for a wife to say. But I'm trying to emphasize the trouble he was going through. And yet the Bible says, after all of that, Job's response is recorded in Job 2, verse 10. And he said this, But he said unto her, Thou speakest one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. He remained firm in his faith, faith in the midst of all kinds of circumstances. And then we think of the man in the New Testament, Paul and Silas. You remember they were at Philippi, and they were whipped because they spoke the the word of God, and they were thrown in the inner prison, and their feet were fast in the stocks. And the jailer at midnight heard something, and as he listened, It was Paul and Silas singing praises to God. All these troubles they're going through, and they're singing praises to God. How could they do something like that? And so he was convinced of the genuineness of their faith, and he sprang in and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? In the midst of trials, their faith remains steadfast in spite of the circumstances. Well, let's go back to Habakkuk. Habakkuk, the one we read in the beginning. And Habakkuk, as we said, was one of the minor prophets. And we read his statement. He said, although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall the fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olives shall fail. The field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold. And there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice 
in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. Can we say that? Have you said that this week? Have you blamed God? Have you griped against God? You say, God, why are you letting this happen to me? As good as I've been, or as much as I'm trying to do, why did you let this happen to me? We shouldn't. We should be like Job and the rest of them. We should be able to say, Lord, I still love you, and I trust you, and I'm joyful in the God of my salvation. Now, we say to that, that kind of faith, wow, what faith? Oh, that I had that kind of faith. The question is, how can we have that kind of faith? Well, first we must understand that Habakkuk not, did not begin that way. If you read the book of Habakkuk, and we will go through it in just a second, you find that Habakkuk did not start off as a great man of faith. In fact, we, let's go to chapter 1 of the book of Habakkuk. And Habakkuk begins, it says in verse 1, we don't know much about Habakkuk except what verse 1 says, the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. So his name was Habakkuk and he was a prophet. That's about all we know about him. And it says this, O Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence and thou wilt not save. God... Why, why aren't you intervening? Why aren't you answering my prayer? He wasn't that great man of faith we read in the end at chapters 3. He was complaining to God. Have you ever done that? He was complaining and saying, God, why don't you answer my prayers? God will not answer his prayers. And he, he doesn't understand that. And he says that Israel, your people are guilty. And he goes on in those verses, uh, uh, verses 2 uh, through 4. He says, he says this, he says, your, guilt, your people are guilty of iniquity, of grievance, of spoiling, of violence, of strife, and contentions, and injustice. And uh, God, these are your people, and they're acting this way. Uh, what are you going to do? Why don't you answer my prayer and bring revival and change them? Lord, I don't understand. And so he doesn't have much faith in the Lord right now. And then God answers him. God answers in an unusual way. Look at verse 5. God says, Behold, ye among the heathen, then and regard and wonder marvelously, for I will work work in your days which ye shall not believe, though it be told you. He says, Habakkuk, let me tell you something. I'm going to do something, and you you won't believe what I'm going to do. I mean, it's not what you're praying for. It's not what you're asking for. You just won't believe what I'm going to do. And then explains to him what he's going to do. He says, I'm going to use the Chaldeans, and he describes them, and he says they're bitter, they're hasty, they're terrible, they're dreadful, they're swift, they're violent, they're proud, and they're idolaters. (laughs) Wicked people. And I'm going to use them to deal with your people. That's unbelievable. God, you're going to use these wicked people to deal with your special people. And God says, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. It's unbelievable. I mean, you, and that sometimes happens to us, you know. We can't believe that we're, we're trying, trying to do all this for the Lord and things go bad. I can remember years ago, a woman told me that she was, wasn't quite responding right. And she said, you know, since I got saved, I'm having more troubles than I did beforehand. 
Well, you know, when you're swimming downstream, not bucking the current, you're going along with the world, there's not much resistance. But you, when you turn around and buck the current and going against the world, there's resistance. And so Habakkuk doesn't quite understand why God is going to do this. And so Habakkuk says, gives his, sex, his second complaint, and it's found in chapter 1, verse 12. Habakkuk says in verse 12, Art thou not from everlasting? O Lord my God, mine holy one, we shall not die. O Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment, and O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. Lord, how are, you know, we're your people, and you're a holy God, and you're an eternal God, and you're a mighty God, and you're going to use them Against us? And notice what he says. Thou art of pure eyes and behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them and that deal treacherously? Lord, they're worse than we are, and how are you going to use them against us? And holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he. God, how can you let that happen? How can you let it happen that the people who are more wicked than we are, are going to, you're going to use them against us? You see, he's not the man he was at chapter 3. He hasn't come to that place of faith yet. And he's sort of complaining against the Lord. But then it says in verse 1 of chapter 2, I will stand upon my watch. I will set me upon on the tower. I will watch to see what he will say unto me. He's starting to melt, soften a little bit. And he says... I'll, I'll, watch, I'll sit on my watchtower and I'll wait to see what God has to say. So he's waiting on the Lord. You know, that's something we need to do when we're going through troubles. And that is wait on the Lord. Wait on him. And so he says, I'm going to wait on the Lord. So then God gives his answer. Look at chapter 2, verse 2. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain upon tables, that he may run and that readeth it. You write this, what I'm going to tell you, you write it down so others can read it, and that's what we're doing today. <laughs> write it down so others can read it and they can learn from it. And then he says, verse 4, the just shall live by faith. Oh, well, before that, verse 3, he says, and what I say will come to pass. Good for us to remember. When troubles are all, all upon us and we don't know what to do, let's remember what God promised and God says, what I say will come to pass. And then he says this, the just shall live by faith. You see, that's the key. How do we face all these tr troubles? How do we keep going in the midst of all these bad circumstances? And the Lord says, the just, that's us, we've been declared righteous by the Lord, we're saved. Saved people will live by faith. When they can't understand, when they don't know why, but they believe in God. The, tr the just shall live by faith. That's the way we, we, we go on. We live by, we trust God when we can't track God. We believe God when we don't understand. You remember God told Habakkuk, this is, what I'm going to do is unbelievable. <laughs> but you've got to trust me. And so the Lord says that you write it down, the just shall live by faith. 
And then he says this, and I want to tell you something. Those people that you're worried about that are more wicked than you are, I'm going to deal with them. (laughs) In my time, I'll take care of them. And I will judge them. He says in verse 5 through 8, for their pride. They're very proud people. I will judge them for their covetousness, verse 9 through 11. I will judge them for their violence, verse 12 through 14. I will judge them for their sin of being given to strong drink. And our nation is guilty of that, given to strong drink and proud of it. And then for their idolatry, I will judge them. The Lord says, I know all these things. I know how wicked they are. I know more than you do, but I'm going to judge them. You mark it down. I will judge them. Just believe me. And you move on by faith. So during that time of conversation with the Lord, let me go over some things that Habakkuk learned. He learned that God is eternal. God is holy. And God is mighty. He learned that God is not behind schedule. God knows what he's doing. You wait on the Lord. He learned that God always does what is right. He doesn't make mistakes. He learned that he does sometimes what seems to us unbelievable. We might not be able to understand the workings of God in our life and why this is happening. We don't understand, but we're to believe him anyway. He learned that God uses the wicked as his instrument. He is greater than evil. So when in our country wickedness arises... Let me remind you something. I don't like it. You don't like it. We're not to approve of it. We're to speak against it, but we need to know this. Uh, Those in power today are not in power. (laughs) God's in power. And God uses them as his instrument. He knows what he's doing, and we can trust the Lord. All things will work together for good to those that love the Lord. We're on the winning side. We're not on the losing side. Sometimes we think those people are seem like they're winning. No, they're not winning. They're just instruments in the hand of God that God's using, and he will use them to bring judgment upon this nation probably. He'll use for whatever reason he has. God knows. God takes, takes down kings and sets up kings. God knows what he's doing. We're always supposed to vote the right way as far as the the better of the two candidates. We're always supposed to do that, but we also realize the one we vote for, for might not be the one that God decides to put in there. And the reason is God uses them as an instrument. And so he learned that. God uses the wicked as an instrument. And God is greater than the evil. Don't fret because of the evil. Don't lose your your faith because of the evil. God is greater than the evil. God's word will come to pass even if it seems impossible. He learned that. He learned that believers are to live by faith, not by sight. He learned that God will judge the wicked. That is sure. He He will judge the wicked. And he learned that the day will come when the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. Look at verse 14, sort of tucked in the midst of all that. It says this, For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Is that day ever coming? (laughs) It's sure not today. The earth shall be filled with the knowledge of of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It's coming, my friend, during the millennial reign of Christ when Jesus is going to rule from, from Jerusalem and going to rule over the whole, whole world. He's going to lift the curse, and he's going to rule. And everybody will know about Jesus. 
That day is coming. Don't forget that when you're facing troubles that you don't understand. We're on the victory side. The Lord's going to win. And it's going to be, he's going to cover the earth with the knowledge, his knowledge. He also learned this. Look at verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. The Lord's in his holy temple. God has not left his throne. He's still, he's still ruling. He still knows what he's doing. He's still the ultimate sovereign, and he's having his will, ultimate will, will be accomplished. God is in charge. Don't forget it. The Lord is in his, is, is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Now all the earth, unsaved people probably won't, but we as Christians should. We should have that silent dependence upon the Lord. We don't like what's going on. We might feel like complaining and all that, but we have a trust to know that God knows what he's doing. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Therefore, the, Lord is, the Lord's work is the most important thing and not our comfort. You see, when we face trials, sometimes we think, Lord, why are you letting this happen to me? Why am I going through these troubles? And we're tempted to think that everything revolves around us, and we pray to God and ask the Lord to bring us comfort and to bring us relief, and we think it's all about us. but But the truth of the matter is, friend, it's not all about us. It's not all about us. It's about him, his work. And that's why Habakkuk, after going through all this, cries in verse 2, Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. But, Lord, you do what you're supposed to do, and you, you bring us back to where we should be in a right relationship to you. It's not about us, Lord. It's about you. And you are doing what's right. You are reigning. We trust you. And so... Having learned all this, Habakkuk now remembers the past actions of the Lord, and that's what we see in verse in chapter 3. After having his questions answered by the Lord, then he begins to think, well, wait a minute. I remember that God has done great things in the past. And chapter 3 is a little hard to understand exactly what events he's talking about. There are some things that are easy to point out, and I want to do that this morning. Verse 3, God came in his glory and covered the heaven. He knows the past tense. Habakkuk says, I remember. God never failed in the past. He won't fail in the future. He won't fail in the present. I remember. And he says, God came in his, and his glory covered the heavens. Verse 4, his brightness was in the light, was as the light. Verse 5, before him went the pestilence. No doubt a reference to Egypt when the... His people were in bondage, and God sent the pestilence and all the judgments there. Uh, Verse 6 of chapter 3, he stood and measured the earth. Wow, that's a great God. (laughs) I mean, he stands and measures the earth. We have trouble sometimes measuring something in our household, figuring out something. And he says, he stood and measured the earth. That's how great he is. He beheld and drove asunder the nations. You remember Isaiah 40 says all the nations are like a drop in a bucket to him. Then in verse 8, he says, he rode upon his horses and his chariots of salvation. It's like when victory came and, the, and those on the victory side, uh, the Lord said, those are my horses and, and my chariots. He rode upon his horses and his chariots for salvation. Uh, verse 9, he clave the earth with rivers. 
Now, I'm not sure exactly what that referred to. Maybe it means at the beginning God, God uh, uh, put all the rivers throughout all the earth. You know, we have a lot of rivers in this nation or in this world. And God put them there. He's so great. In verse 10, the mountains saw him and trembled. The great mountains saw the Lord and, and trembled. Uh, verse 11, the sun, and the sun and the moon stood still, probably referring to that time when Joshua prayed and God made the sun stand still. God can do that. He marched through the, the land in indignation, verse 12. All this is past tense. He went forth for the salvation of his people, verse 13, and wounded the head of the wicked. Verse 15, he walked through the sea with his horses and through the heap of great waters, probably talking about the crossing of the Red Sea. And the Lord says, I, I went through there before you. I opened it all up, and, and I threw the heaps on, of great waters on each side. And God says, I did that. And Habakkuk's response, when he remembered all that, which we're to do, when we're going through trouble, remember God's past blessings in our life, and then all the times in the scripture where he's done such so wonderful things, such great things. Remember that. When you face trials and your faith seems to be tried because of the troubles you're going through and the circumstances you face, remember the Lord's greatness. And his response in verse 16, Habakkuk's response was his belly trembled. His lips quivered. The Bible says there were rottenness entered into his bones. He felt so weak. He trembled in himself. And then he says, now he would rest in the day of trouble. Now that I remembered all this, I've heard God's explanation. I remember all the things he's done in the past. Now I'll rest in the day of trouble. Habakkuk's conclusions after all this learning that he went through in chapters 1 and 2 and 3, he brings a conclusion. Look at verse 17 again. We'll read it. After all that, he said, although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olives shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stall. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. So can we have that kind of faith today? I think the answer is yes. We can. And let me give you some reasons in closing. We can have that kind of faith because of God's person. As Habakkuk said, he's eternal. He always has been. He always will be. He's never late. He's always on time. He's eternal. He's holy. That means there's no imperfection at all in him. Nobody like him. He's holy. He's mighty. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere present. That's our great God. We can have faith in the midst of spite of the circumstances because of his person. Also, we can have faith in spite of the circumstances because of his past performance. We saw it as we went through those things, as Habakkuk remembered them. And we can do the same, his past performance. And we look back in the past in our life and all throughout the Bible, and we can draw this conclusion. He has never failed. He has never lied. He has never lost a battle, and he has never broken a promise. Why do you think he'd start now? We can have faith because of his past performance. We can have faith because of his promises. 
You see, the promises of the Lord is, is he will never leave us nor forsake us. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. We may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man has, shall do unto me because he will never leave me nor forsake me. That's his promise. Another promise, he'll work all things together for good, Romans 8, 28. And the conclusion in verse 31, if that's true, then God be for us, who can be against us? Though I'm facing all this that I don't understand, I know this, God is for me, he's not against me. He's not working against me because of these circumstances. He is still for me. I just can't see the whole picture, but God does. So I trust him. He will always love us. Circumstances we go through should never be an indication to us that God doesn't love us anymore. Because Romans 8 says, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God loves me as a Christian. So I can face all the problems knowing his love is steadfast. Another promise is that he will take us to heaven. John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you again. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And 2 Corinthians 5, 8 says, we will someday be absent from the body and present with the Lord. To all the circumstances that are causing us such heartache, we need to understand better days are coming. And we're going to leave this world and we're going to be in heaven with the Lord forever. Not only that, he's going to give us a brand new body. 1 Corinthians 15, he says that this corruptible is going to put on incorruption. This mortal is going to put on mortality. So shall that be brought to pass that saying is death is swallowed up in victory. God's going to give us a brand new body someday a brand new body. First John chapter 3 says the same thing, that we're going to be like Jesus. And knowing that, that we're going to be like Jesus, we're just a motivation for us to be pure in this life because we know we're on the victory side. We're going to have a brand new body. We're also going to reign with him. Revelation 20 verse 6 says, he's going to rule and reign in this earth for 1,000 years and we are going to reign with him. Can you think of that? You're going through a big trial right now, and you wonder, is it worth it? Let me tell you, it's going to be worth it. You're going to be with the Lord. You're going to have a brand new body. When he comes back to rule on this earth for that thousand years, you're going to reign with him in that glorified body. Wow, what an experience that's going to be. And then at the end of that, he's going to destroy the present heaven and present earth, and he's going to make a brand new heaven and a brand new earth. And guess what it says in Revelation chapter 21? And we shall serve him. We're going to serve him forever and ever and ever. So we can have faith in spite of circumstances because of his promises. We can have faith in spite of circumstances finally because of his prevailing over all of his enemies. The Bible says he will prevail over all nations that rebel against him. Revelation 20, I saw Jesus coming on a white horse and the, and the armies of heaven came with him and with the sword of his mouth, he's going to destroy all those nations that rebelled against him. And then at the end of the thousand year reign, he's going to let, allow Satan to be loose for a little season. He's going to deceive many people and they too are going to rise up against him and he's going to destroy them again. 
He's going to conquer all of his enemies. He'll prevail over Satan. Revelation 20, verse 20, and the devil that deceived them was cast in the lake of fire. And he's going to be there forever and ever and ever. He's going to, he's going to prevail over Satan. He's going to prevail over all unsaved people, all unbelievers, because Revelation 20 says, I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and they were judged out of those things, and all of them were cast into the lake of fire. If you're not saved, that's, a, that's an awful thing to read. That's a frightening thing. But you don't have to go there. You can go to heaven by faith in Jesus Christ. So he's going to prevail over all unbelievers, and then he's going to prevail over one final thing. That final enemy, the Bible says, is death. And Jesus is going to prevail over death. And the Bible says in Revelation 20, verse 14, there will be no more death. Well, isn't that great? We can trust the Lord. We can have faith in the Lord because he's going to prevail over uh all, all enemies, he is the victory. You can have faith in spite of circumstances and rejoice in the Lord and joy in the God of your salvation. And, that, and Paul agreed with that in Philippians chapter 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And don't worry about anything, he says, but pray about everything and God will give you the peace of God in the midst of all those circumstances and you can trust the Lord. And Paul said you, you can do that because in verse 13 he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. I can go through these troubles. I can go through all these circumstances that seem so heavy. I can do it through Christ, not through my own strength, but through him. And then I have this promise in verse 19, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. By Christ Jesus. Can we have the faith that Habakkuk had? Yes, we can. We can be positive. We can be victorious because we are. And we're going to win. The Lord's going to win. And so keep on trusting the Lord in spite of the circumstances. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for showing these truths from your word, this wonderful book of Habakkuk. I pray, Lord, that in the midst of trials and troubles, we'll be strong in our faith and we'll never turn back and we'll never give in. But even though there are tears in our eyes because of the burdens, even though, Lord, there's things that we don't understand, I pray that we'll be able to say with Habakkuk, though everything fails, I will joy in the God of my salvation. We're on the victory side. Remind us of that. We pray in Jesus' name.